our first moment together, I shanked a wedge over the road. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm supposed to like meet these people. I'm like, you know, we're having an interview tomorrow. I was just striping it on the range. All of those things. And welcome back. Welcome aboard another Partrain. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Uh, it's just me this week. Mr. Cermak could not make it. This I actually, this is one of our few live podcasts that we've done in person. Uh, I flew to Pinehurst number two, so it was just me. But thank you guys. In case you're new, golf game off the rails, sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The part train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again on and off the course because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. Trust me, I've lived it. The part train podcast unpacks the mental game with PJ Tour Pros. We've got a couple tour pros with me today, best-selling authors, CEOs, sports psychologists, everyday golfers like you and me, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and help you finally get back on track. This episode, as every episode is, is sponsored by Roback Performance Apparel. Okay, I have more and more people texting me, calling me, DMing me every week about how unbelievable Roback Performance Apparel is. And I just laugh because I've been telling you this for three years now, and people are still shocked when they put it on. You know, you're like going to see someone, you like pat them on the shoulder, hey, good to see you. People touch my shoulder when I'm wearing a Roback hoodie, they freak out. They go, whoa, that's the softest thing I've ever touched. What is that? I say it's Roback, enter the code TRAIN for 15% off, (laughs) and then they go get it, and then they buy 10 other Roback items. Roback Performance Apparel is the best in the game. We're starting to get into golf season now, so get yourself some new polos. They just launched this new polo called the Chubbs Polo, which has got little alligators and golf carts, uh, paying homage to uh, Chubbs from Happy Gilmore, so I immediately got one of those, probably one of my favorite polos they've ever made. Hoodies, can't beat the hoodie for around the house, on the course, on Zooms, whatever you use it for, Q-zips, vests, hats, they've got it all. Uh, The people are even better than the products that run this company. We are so blessed and excited to have them as our presenting sponsor. So go to Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN, get yourself 50% off. If you've done it before, use a new email, you know the drill. Thank you to Roback, as always, for sponsoring the show and letting us do what we love. So enjoy the ride with some new gear. Okay, so like I said, a little context. I was flown out to Pinehurst, number two, first time ever going by a company called Carry. okay? Carry is this brand new platform that basically, you know, there's all this buzz around the stock market and people getting more into the stock market. Well, Carry lets you invest in tour pros. So up and coming, aspiring tour pros on these developmental tours, a lot of people don't realize how expensive it is to not only enter these tournaments, but then to put yourself up, the travel, the hotels, the food, I mean, it's unbelievable. I have even more context because my buddy Ryan was thinking about doing it, but you have to get sponsors. It's a lot of pressure. It's just a, it's a grind of a lifestyle if you don't really, really want it. You have to want it with all, every fiber of your being. And I got to sit down with two aspiring tour pros that are sponsored by Carrie. I sat down with Michael Vanderlaan, Vanderlaan, I think I got it right, and Paige Crawford, Uh, Both on developmental tours, these are two incredible players. Michael was a part of the um, FSC National Championship team, NCAA Division II first team All-American. When he was 16, he won the AJGA New Era Junior Classic wire to wire. 
Shot a final round 68 at the Long Island Junior Classic. Eight birdies in his final 12 holes. Michael's a player, and I got to play both with Michael and Paige at the um, little par three course at Pinehurst, the cradle. So it was a lot of fun to be able to get to know a couple players, play with them, spend some time together, and the next morning before we played Pinehurst number two, we got to sit down for this conversation. Uh, Paige Crawford won the Big Sky Championship. She played college at Montana State. And I found this quote that says, you won't find many women still grinding on mini tours nine years after they graduate from college. Paige Crawford might be the only one, in fact, and she does it all in a converted van that doubles as her hotel. So I think this conversation was really powerful. I think you'll find some amazing nuggets from each of them. But what I think is most interesting about these types of conversations, which is why I try and get as many of them as we can, is look, you guys know the PJ Tour pros, you know them with LPGA Tour pros, but these players, I think, are the most relatable because these players, their life and livelihood is on the line. And we talk about on the show all the time, the ability to stay present, play the shot at hand without getting too deep into the results. These types of players have to be the best at it or they're going to be done, right? And they're trying to make their dreams happen where we're just out there trying to shoot our lowest score or win a, a NASA with our buddies, like everything's on the line with these, with these guys. And that's why I love picking their brain. And I hope, and I know we will deliver some nuggets for your game because if they can stay present, so can you. So thank you to Michael and Paige for coming on the show. And thank you for Carrie, to Carrie for having me out and introducing me to all of these tour pros it's really an amazing thing that they're building and it's a way to get to know these players and help them achieve their dream. So if you want to invest in tour pros and you like what Carrie's doing, check out more at carrie.golf. That's carrie.golf. And uh, I'll stop yabbering. I'll get you guys to this conversation. If we've added any value or this conversation has given you a nugget to make your game better, it would mean the world to give us a, a review at Apple Podcasts. Um, follow us on Spotify. And if you like the show and you don't follow us on social media, your, your game might be missing out. Okay, I post four times a day on every platform, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram's our biggest following. Are the best places to follow us. Get little tidbits for your game in between listening to the podcast. And uh, I love getting your DMs and your comments. So definitely send us a message. I try and answer everyone to build this community and help you with your games. And uh, no matter how you're hitting it, no matter how you feel out there, just remember, guys, enjoy the ride. Take care. What is the mental game to you guys? It's, Michael, you want to go first? Yeah, it's um, it's everything. It, you know, I, I love the game, and I think if you dig into kind of the highs and lows and, and kind of the way things go out there, it's all about, you know, how's my mental game? If it's good, I'm having fun. If it's not, you know, golf can be kind of miserable. Mm-hmm. It's just how it goes. So you're saying that the your experience actually doesn't necessarily rely on your play it's more so your mind I think honestly some of the happiest golfers I've ever seen are the guys that have no idea what they're doing you know they shoot 120 but they're just out there having a blast yeah so what about you Paige what does it mean to you what is the mental game to you I think the mental game is definitely everything um I I believe yeah like he said Michael that 
the people that are the happiest, you know, they don't care what they're shooting. They're just out there having fun. And that's a big part is having gratitude um, for where you are at that time. A lot of those, you know, regular golfers, they're happy to play instead of working, you know, nine to five. So just having that gratitude is key, I think. Now, gratitude is something we've talked about on the show. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times when people are miserable, <laughs> gratitude seems like the furthest <laughs> thing away, right? So, like, for example, yesterday, how fitting was it that our first moment together, I shanked a wedge over the road. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm supposed to, like, meet these people. I'm, like, trying to hold my own. You know, we're having an interview tomorrow. I was just striping it on the range. All of those things started cycling through my mind. I started feeling the heart pump, but then I just settled in and I did okay. It's right, I got shots. I got around there. So, um, I'll start with you, Paige. How does someone that shanks a ball in the first hole or does whatever does the opposite of what they're trying to do, and it happens over and over and over again? Can they get straight to gratitude or how do you get to gratitude? We're starting a little deep yeah. and heavy, but you know, so just roll with me here. Well, for me, when that happens, um, when I start off bad, I just immediately, my heart is racing, I'm not breathing. Mm. So I kind of go back to thinking about the breath mm. and taking deep breaths. That, and then once you like feel like you're like kind of calming down, then just like look around and enjoy the scenery. Um, mm. Yeah, I think it's definitely a step process. It's not going to just be like you're going to click it off and just be like, you know, fine. Um, yeah, I think those are two key points, like breathing. I tend to not breathe. <laughs> so <laughs> I notice it. I'm like, oh, I'm out of breath. You know, I'm like, I can't yeah. breathe. Take some deep breaths. Um, and then, like I said, having that gratitude and then just really focusing on one shot at a time. Um, even like just when you're putting the ball down, feeling the little dimples, um, little mindfulness stuff like that, and feeling yeah. the grip in your hand. So that gets you out of your head. Interesting. Do you have a certain way that you breathe? Like, is there a focus when you breathe? Um, for me, I think it's just breathing in through my nose and then out through my mouth, like really deep breaths. I have allergies, so I can't really breathe out of my nose <laughs> half the time. So. <laughs> I think for me, that's the way I've tried to do in and out of my nose, but I'm not getting enough oxygen in. <laughs> well, it's interesting you said feel the club, see the dimples on the ball, because, you know, a lot of people that don't or haven't practiced mindfulness, and we don't talk about mindfulness. I've mentioned it many times on the show, but it's not something that I usually classify as that because a lot of people have, like, you know, these preconceived notions with it, and we usually talk about, you know, awareness practice and non-judgmental awareness and stuff like that same thing but um you know people that are having anxiety attacks usually there are common things where people say that is a chair that is a doorknob right and it's just changing your focus point to something in the room kind of grounds you mm -hmm. um so that's something we actually haven't heard a ton on the show is like how does the club feel in my hand what do the dimples look like on the ball? You know, what does that tree look like? That's actually a great way to go external too, which a lot of people, if you're an extrovert at least, um, I don't know if you guys have ever worked with Kyle and mental golf type, but we, I'm getting certified in that. We talk about that all the time. And 
if you're an extrovert and you're going through stress, you go internal, right? So what you just said is you go naturally go external, which is a great, great thing. So what about you? I think Paige pretty much touched on all of it. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's a little bit more compartmentalization and just knowing, you know, if I hit a bad shot or if I have a bad day on the golf course, I'm still the same guy. You know, I'm, I'm still doing all the same stuff, right? It's not, golf doesn't make or break who you are as a person. Um, and, you know, you were talking about some great stuff too. I've had my own struggles with anxiety. And so kind of going external and being very aware of your, your natural surroundings and kind of regrounding yourself that way. Um, definitely throughout my life has, has helped a lot. Mm. Um, and then breathing too. Paige just talked about that. Um, I tried to, I worked with a mental coach in Jacksonville for a little while and breathing was pretty much all we worked on. You know, it was, it was in through the nose, make sure you're filling your belly, you know, compressing that solar plexus so you get all the nerves refreshed and then just really slow out through the mouth, kind of feeling everything, all the tension go away. Um, so, you know, when things start going a little sideways, those, those are kind of the things that I use to, you know, that and positive self-talk, you know, just being, I, I can make birdies and bunches, that double bogey doesn't matter kind of thing. Mm. So how, in your breathing, mm-hmm. um, you talked about filling the belly, is this something you do before each shot? Is it only after you start to feel like you're speeding up and you're getting anxious or how are you breathing out there? When I first started, I incorporated it in my pre-shot routine. Um, so I was doing it before every shot. I kind of got to the point where my breathing just naturally got better. So I don't necessarily need to be constantly thinking about it, but you know, in high pressure situations, whether it's a first tee shot, you know, got some first tee jitters or standing on the 18th with maybe a, a one shot lead or needing a birdie to win, something like that. Yeah, you definitely, you get a little bit more conscious of, of slowing that breathing down and kind of just making sure you're in rhythm. And how did you struggle with anxiety, you mentioned? Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm one of those people that I, I hold myself to a very high standard. And when I was a little bit younger, I didn't understand how to manage that, right? So for a couple of years in college, I was having anxiety attacks and, and you know, just the whole kind of experience of not living up to my own expectation. and kind of seeing the negative side effects from putting my head through that. So you'd be going through something, the results aren't quite matching, Yeah. and you were identifying with those results and therefore having exactly. anxiety response? Exactly. How hard is it to not ident- identify with your results? Because people talk about that, right? Scotty Scheffler talked about that at the Masters. Rory McIlroy, a few years ago at the Masters, the biggest pressure situation for him and his career, basically the only thing he hasn't done. Uh, he talked about how he's really working on he's not his scores. But for mini tour, and this is why I love having mini tour, corn fairy pros, maybe even more than PJ tour pros, because I think you guys are the best example of it's almost a requirement to detach from your results, or you're never going to get your best game out, be- mm-hmm. even though you know in the back of your head one great event can propel your whole year. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. How important has that been? Paige, we'll go with you first. Like, how do you not identify with your results? How do you practice that? It's so hard. Um, I think having a support system helps them telling you, you know, you're more than your scores. You're more than golf. You're not just a golfer. Um, That's a really big thing, having that. Because, you know, when you meet people or you know people and they're like, 
oh, you're the one. You're the golfer. It's, like, hard to be, like, yeah, I'm a golfer, but I'm also, you know, I do other stuff. And, you know, people automatically are, like, what's your handicap? You know, what do you shoot? You know, how are you doing? Have you won yet? You know, it's hard. It's hard sometimes. But I think if you have a great support system, you know, family, friends who don't care about that, um, that really helps. I think she's spot on again. Um, you know, I talked a little about compartmentalization earlier, and you were saying having that support system. Well, I've got this amazing friend who kind of helped me walk through everything I struggled with with anxiety. And one of the big things we talked about was, hey, go get a piece of paper, put 25, you know, 1 through 25 on it, and write down 25 things that are not golf that you can use to help identify yourself. Mm. And, you know, she said, it can be, I'm a brother, I'm a son. You know, I'm, I'm a student, I'm, I like to fish, things like that, that just take me away from golf. And then she said, number 25, write golf. So I did. Mm. Showed her the list and she said, okay, there's 25 things on there. Each one of them is 4% of who you are. So there was, you know, and I, a way of giving me some perspective oh, that cool. golf is, you know, a very small part of who I am. And that kind of takes the whole perspective and gives you a broader view on, on kind of who you are and what your life is. That's cool because even one is twenty is four percent right. of who you are, right? right. So mm-hmm. even the thing that you write down first that you think is such a big part of you, mm-hmm. that's a cool kind of device to it, think about that. And it changed everything for me, you know. Being able to, I had to remind myself that you know, let's look at the list again. But as you do that, it takes your perspective and it just creates this this piece. Yeah, that it, it's so much easier to walk around and not feel like golf is everything. Totally. We're going to get into each of your guys' career. I want you get to give our listeners some context on the tours, you know, previous events you've played in, because I think a lot of people don't know a lot about, you know, the mini tours and how it works and all that stuff, so we'll get to that. But uh, you guys are going to laugh. I know you're younger than me, um, but I made a TikTok last night after I got back, and uh, I made a proclamation about today, and I'm curious to hear if you guys experienced this too where when I go to a really great course and I've been lucky to be able to play some awesome places, uh, it's easy to put a place, let's, let's use Pinehurst because we're here, on a pedestal, right? Like, I don't know if your guys' TV in your room defaulted to the USGA history and like past US Open events and women's US Opens with Michelle Wee and Payne Stewart and all these amazing history and people go like, oh my God, I can't believe you're playing Pinehurst number two and all these things. It's kind of weird when you take a step back and realize like, I'm letting a golf course like intimidate me. Like it's out of a form of respect, mm-hmm. but on the first tee, like a lot of people commented on the video we made last night. They're like, I usually like am tentative the whole time because I can't believe I'm there. And you put all this pressure on yourself. But then when you take a step back and realize it's just grass and sand and it's like why am I creating this whole thing you know why can't I just go up pick my spot and rip at the ball as best as I can and then go find it and do it again but do you guys have that experience either at a place like this or at a big event as well like how do you break down that initial response of 
this means so much or this is such a big moment like how do you make it less big if that makes sense well for Pinehurst um I love history so for me it's just like I think think of it in a positive way like wow like all these great people were right here on this spot you know on this you know tea box I think of it that way so it's not really intimidating to me in that way and um I played at the Broadmoor um, in Colorado Springs, which has a lot of history. I've worked there, and it's also Donald Ross design, the East Course. So it's just cool for me to experience more history. So I guess I just have a different perspective on that part. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, I've been very lucky to play a lot of incredible golf courses in my life. Um, when I was a kid, you know, going to... TPC Sawgrass, you know, I was 12 years old. I'd watched the 17th hole for years at that point. Going to uh, the Ocean Course on Keogh when I was 13, 14, I would always do that. You know, it would be, oh my goodness, whoever just won, you know, the U.S. Open here, won whatever tournament. Um, and, you know, you grow up and you kind of figure out who you are a little bit more. And it goes back to gratitude of, like you were saying, you know, we're at Pinehurst number two. Well, yeah, it's great. Martin Keimer won the U.S. Open here back in 2000-whatever it was. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to look at that and say, oh, man, like this has so much history. I'm kind of scared of it. I'm going to look at that and say, I get to take that walk, too. Yeah. And maybe we should be hitting putter from everywhere, like uh, Keimer did. <laughs> Might try it. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Seriously. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We got a word from a brand new sponsor that's just starting this week. I got my man, Cermak, with me. And we're here to talk about a very important topic, so, a topic that certainly hasn't paid a lot of attention to up to this point in his life. And I think he's ready to finally get it together. There hasn't been a lot of sun in Chicago. So this is a coming well, at a good time. The sun's out. We got to make sure you don't get burned. It's 85 out there right now as we speak. And you need your sunscreen. Last week, it was 45. But we're here. It is sunscreen season. I would actually love to. We should pull our audience on Instagram of actually put on sunscreen before they're around a golf. I, a lot of times I forget, you know, it starts, you start early, it starts cloudy. I don't pre-apply. Yeah. And then by the time you get out there, you don't want to like spray it on. You don't want your hands to get sticky. How often do you put on sunscreen? Every time. But to your point, Ev, it might not always be on the first tee. Sometimes right. it's like the sixth hole or if I'm starting to feel it. I always, it varies on when I put it on, but just because I'm, I'm fair skinned and I've had some bad sunburn in my life, back yeah. of my legs, for example, wearing shorts, mm. you know, um, calf burn. Oh, um, I'm always <laughs> doing it, but Ev, up until recently, never had a consistent brand or brand I really liked, or I always knew there was better stuff out there. Yeah. Think about an epiphany, Ev. Well, let me give a little bit of context, okay? Tara, my fiance and I are, we don't talk about this a lot on the show. We talked about it a little bit before, but I'm like an ingredient freak. Okay. Everything in our house is organic. You can laugh at it or not, but you know, <laughs> we care. We care a lot about what we put in and on our bodies. Okay. And sunscreen is a hot topic in our house because it's very hard to find a clean, good sunscreen that works. You know, yep. that doesn't make me look like a ghost out there and super white. And so um, Oars and Alps is a clean brand for men. And I actually found them a few years ago on my own. 
uh, using their deodorant, talk about their deodorant down, down the line. But today we're going to focus on sunscreen because I didn't know that they have sunscreen. And I want to ask you, sir, why is it that guys don't feel like it's okay to take care of themselves? Like, why do you think there's a stigma? Guys can't buy products with good ingredients that makes them look good, that protects them from the sun. Like, what do we think? We're too tough that it's good if we get burned. What is that? Well, it's a two-step process, right? I mean, it's better to wear, first we got to get guys to wear sunscreen, right? But yeah, you're in a foursome. We're lucky if two guys have sunscreen in the whole group, right? Um, I think it's the thing of convenience, right? I mean, you just grab, if you see sunscreen, you just grab it wherever it's available, whether it's at Walgreens. It is a very or, impulse thing, right? Not a lot of people Or it's in the pro shop. Ahead. Yeah. How many guys buy a little, the little tubes in the pro shop? Cause, oh my God, it's 90 degrees. It's scorching yeah. out there. I need to protect myself. But I've always, it's, I'm a little like that, Ev. You know, I've bounced around brands, but never like, I always knew like, I know there's better stuff for me, like better ingredients that is just not only going to protect my skin, but you know, help my longevity because I'm not being exposed to chemicals. Yeah. So for, I think it's a convenience thing, Ev, um, and just not being educated and not, you know, guys think, eh, at least if I put on some, sun, some sunscreen, I'm doing my, my job. But that's not true with Ors and Alps. Yeah, I mean, I bet you that you probably used Coppertone Sport, Banana Boat, just these classic brands we grew up with. And I was looking it up before we were talking about this. And I was looking at studies and it looked like Coppertone was recalled a few years ago because it had benzene chemical. Can I read you what benzene is? Benzene exposure. I think think you have to. (laughs) benzene exposure can cause bone marrow cells to not produce red blood cells, or it can cause the white blood cells of your immune system to fail, essentially can cause cancer. And you hear about these chemicals that are getting recalled. And it's like, why are they in these products? I'm not going to go on too long about this because I am super passionate about this. And I think a lot of America and the world don't know what they're putting on their bodies and what they put in it. But what the golfer, most golfers really care about is, is am I not going to get sunburned? Is it not sticky and greasy? Does it smell good? And is it relatively, you know, inexpensive? And can I bring it with me? Is it portable? And Oars and Alps is hitting all of those boxes, right? The ghost stick is this little clear uh, little stick that's perfect for putting in like your little cell phone pouch in your bag. That just won best new product at the 2022 PGA show, which we met uh, the Ors right. and Alps team at. You just use that. You're going to a happy hour outdoor area. Well, I've it, used that in the mornings. It's a great little just rub it on my cheeks because my cheeks always get red. Smells it. good. Not greasy. Great option. Well, exactly. Ev. The stick is incredible. It's a great reapplier you yeah. know, for your face, especially when you're out on the course or if you're going out to a happy hour. Um, also, you know, obviously the most you know, um, sensitive part of our skin is the top of our hands. And that's the oh, area yeah. we do it. We do. You can see old people, you know, look, there's their top of their hands are so sunburnt, but we forget about it. And so as young people forget to put sunscreen there, it's much easier to do with a stick than it is with getting a bunch of sun, you know, getting your classic sunscreen. Plus this yeah. stuff smells good. Have the stick smells good. Um, which is kind of delight when you're talking sunscreen. So the other one to check out is the hydrating antioxidant SPF 50 spray. 
This was named the best sunscreen of 2021 by Men's Health. It's got like olive leaf, leaf extract. It's got less alcohol uh, than a traditional sunscreen, which helps combat the drying effects on the sun. Antioxidant from vitamin C. Uh, it's got everything you want. And guess, get this. I used it at the pool last weekend and I moved away from the guy that was in the pool with his kids. I was spraying it on myself. He goes, oh, no, feel free. Come back. It smells great. I mean, <laughs> he what have you ever heard spray him up. that about sunscreen? <laughs> jokes, yeah. jokes aside, too, obviously, when you put spray sunscreen on, there's, there's a possibility you can get in your eyes. And if yeah. you get in your eyes, that can ruin your afternoon. This stuff is way more or less sensitive. I, don't be spraying it in your eyes, guys. But because of the ingredients, it's you're way less susceptible for it to like take you out. So for all you uh, fair skin, you know, put this stuff on. It's great. Yeah. So, guys, they offer a ton of different. They've got the mineral sunscreen. They've got the roll on. They've got different sprays. They've got an everyday face moisturizer with SPF, which I've been using. So go to oarsandalps.com, O-A-R-S and alps.com. Enter the code TRAIN. Get 15% off. And guys, like we said, you're either not putting it on, you're using a shitty product that you used since you were a kid that has a ton of chemicals, you don't know where it's from. And it's probably an impulse buy where you're subject to whatever your buddy in the group has or the pro shop. So do yourself a favor, finally plan ahead with our discount, get yourself 15% off and get something that's better for you that'll protect you better. Orzenalps.com, enter the code train, 15% off. I think we're saving people with this last thing and last thing Ev, it's manufactured in chicago how fun is that wow talk about <laughs> a friend that, of the program we're having fun <laughs> all right thanks guys let's get back to the show Paige. let's start with you give people some context on what tour you're on right now how it works how many events you're scheduled to play just give people that context before we start digging into each of your games Okay, um, so right now I'm playing on the WAPT tour, the women's pro, women's all pro tour, um, and it's a really great tour. Um, Gary is amazing. Um, so what you do is you play two rounds. They do it like the LPGA. They make a cut, and then you play the last two rounds. Um, it's mostly in like Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, that kind of area. So. Um, I have some status on the Epson tour, but uh, don't know if I'm gonna get into any of them. I'm trying, <laughs> hopefully, and I'll do some Monday qualifiers also. Um, the women, we also have the Cactus tour, which is mainly in like Arizona. Um, and then also there's the East Coast uh, Women's Pro Golf Tour. Um, I'm on the advisory board of that, and it's the East Coast, Florida, and the Carolinas, and New England, so. Um, yeah, women have mainly three mini tours. Okay, so to give people context, it used to be called the Symmetra, now it's called the Epson. Epson, yeah. And that's the equivalent of the Corn Ferry for men. Correct. Okay. Um, okay, what about you, Michael? Um, I'm playing on a variety of mini tours, mostly based in Florida, um, and traveling to some Mondays as well for the Corn Ferry tour. I don't have any status, so that's kind of my only way to get in right now. Um, so I'll go and play some of the Mondays with other uh, G-Pro APT tour events that travel along with the Corn Ferry tour schedule. And the balance here, from my understanding of other guests we've had and just from knowing people that have been on mini tours, it's a challenge between mini tours can make you money, but they don't necessarily give you points or, um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Status, right? So what's the balance between Monday qualifiers to get status and points, but mini tours might make you more money? It's a pretty delicate balance, I think. Um, the cool thing about what Paige and I are involved in is we don't necessarily have to worry as much about the financial aspect and playing the mini tours to fund the next trip, yeah. where we can instead go chase after some Mondays, play in the mini tour events more for the competitive reps, and just getting really comfortable under the gun, so that when we get to those Monday qualifiers, we can go, I've been here 10 times in the last few months. This is, this is nothing for me. Yeah. And the cool thing is about the WAPT, the top two players get to play in the next Epson tournament. So that really helps too. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. So what's the best you guys have performed in a Monday qualifier? How have, how have the Monday qualifiers been? Because the Monday qualifiers are a great proving ground for this conversation and just this podcast because it's like you got one shot, you know? But at the same time, like thinking about that to your point about either thinking about number two as intimidating or a cool opportunity, thinking about the quote one shot doesn't necessarily help you perform. So what have those experiences been like and what's your best performance been in a Monday qualifier? How have they been? Well, for me, I actually haven't done a Monday okay. qualifier yet. I was actually talking to Alice, one of the other carry people um, about it. And um, probably after Q school is when I'll start doing those. Okay. I've played in a few. Um, the best I've shot is 69, I think, in Sarasota a couple of years ago. So haven't had the success that I wanted yet. Um, what's cool for me is, you know, the Mondays, you can play really good golf and miss by five. That's just that's how it works sometimes. You know, someone else made all the 20-footers that day. Mm -hmm. But it's a great way to see how well you can adjust your mindset because you've got to be going in there thinking, you know, at least for the Corn Ferry Tour, I'm not sure what the scores are for Epson, um, you got to be thinking 63, 64, right? So if I go out and play the way that I play for a three or four round event, you know, trying to hit the middle of the greens, make four or five birdies and shoot a few under, that doesn't do it. You've got to be, you know, from the first hole, go, 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 accelerator to the floor and see what you can do. Is it hard to ease into a round like that? You don't ease into it. You jump right in. It's It's got to be, you've got to be on the range, on the putting green, on the first tee, thinking I'm going to birdie every hole and yeah. try your hardest to do it. And it, yeah, there's just no easing into it. And do you like that style of play? Do you tend to play better or does that add a lot of I, interference for you? I prefer to play a little bit more like tournament golf as opposed to shootout golf. Um, yeah. I think it, it suits my personality and my game a little bit better. But that said, you know, who doesn't love going out and firing at every pin and, mm -hmm. and seeing what you can do? It almost gives an excuse, right? Well, not even an excuse so much. as It's just fun. Yeah. You know, it's when you go out with your friends and you play at the local public course, you don't play to the middle of the green and try to make a 25-footer. You fire at pins. You hit driver everywhere. You yeah. try to make birdies. Yeah. And it's a little bit, so it's a little bit kind of that... That mindset of if I can feel like I'm out there playing with my old college teammates and not playing for a, a start, it, it becomes really fun. It's like match play, basically, is what you're saying. Kind of, yeah. 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 Well, that's cool that, you know, we could have gone that it's filled with a lot of pressure, but you kind of spun it in a way that's like, 
well, it's kind of like there's nothing holding you back, which is fun. It's right. a fun way to play, even though you're probably not going to play that every competitive round. No, you won't. Uh, but that's a unique round, mm-hmm. which you're thinking about in a fun opportunity way. Exactly. So that's something I think that's good for people to remember. Mm-hmm. You know, even like today for me, like an old pattern is to you know, try and impress people I'm with or, like, be intimidated by the course. And it's like, well, when's the next time I'm going to be back at number two? Who knows? You know, so let's enjoy it and have fun and look at everything and take it in, you know? Um, let's talk about your guys' uh, highlights for a second. Paige, let's start with you. Um, what comes to mind when you decided to turn pro? What tournament or moment inspire you to say I can do this what was your highlight that made you go pro well I would say my junior year in college I am I won conference I won by seven strokes which was a record it still is I think for big sky Um, and I have the record for shooting eight under Um, so that was a really cool moment which I was like, I can do this, you know, but I didn't turn pro until two years later. Mm. Um, I Right after college, I just kind of wanted to just keep playing a little bit of junior golf. And, you know, you have a lot of people saying, like, you should turn pro, you should turn pro. And it's like I wanted to on my own terms. And um, I turned pro right before I went to Q school. So, What was, in those two years, were you needing to, like, almost believe it yourself what were you trying to find out in those two years yeah well I had my senior year of college still and then yeah I just kind of wanted to adjust to life after college a little bit um and just see you know what was out there I played a little bit of cactus tour prior so I was still an amateur then and then I was just like you know I think I'm ready now so I and just wanted to get that experience of more mini tour stuff outside of college. Got it. It's different when you're in college playing golf versus when you're, you know, an adult, I guess, after you graduate. What happened on the um, the 8-under? Let's talk about that round, yeah. that tournament a little bit, and then we'll go to Michael. Uh, anything different about that week versus other weeks? Yeah, well, leading up to that, I was playing really well. I was placing well in tournaments, um, but my putting, and I was like, Coach, I don't know what's going on with my putting, you know? And um, <laughs> she's like, you'll be fine. You're working on it. You know, you're going to get it. It's going to come together. You know, my I was hitting the ball so well. And like I said, I was placing well in tournaments leading up to it. Um, I played the course quite a bit leading up to it um, in other tournaments, and... I just remember the first day I was playing well, just shooting, like, even just pretty chill round. And then I bogeyed the last hole. And I was like, what? You know, I was so mad about that. And then after that, the next two days, I was just, like, in a flow state. And it was just going after every pin and just making everything. It was just like I wasn't thinking. I just saw it, and I was just doing it. And Mm. um, I didn't know I won until, like, the end because – our team we weren't like good as a team so we were like pretty early in the round and um I was on the 18th green and I was so focused I really wanted to make this birdie putt and I just barely missed it I was like ah 
but my teammates are like, that's so good. And I'm like, I don't even know what I shot. And it was my best round. So like, I uh, shot 68, which was my lowest the second day. And then I shot 67 the third day, which then was my lowest. Yeah. So <laughs> it was just so fun. Just I was just in the flow state. So it sounds like you were enjoying it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, when they shoot their lowest score, the next round, historically, is really hard <laughs> to go low again. People mm-hmm. hang on. They're trying to, you know. And I, my, one of my best friends growing up played uh, at Missouri State. I'm from St. Louis originally. And he was always one of the top amateur players in Missouri. And it was him and Scott Langley who has played on the PJ Tour. And it, those were the top two guys. And Langley went to the PJ Tour. Ryan didn't. And Ryan told me, which is kind of similar to what you just said, uh, the difference between him and Scott is when Ryan would shoot a 66 or be on track to shoot a 66, Ryan would hang on for the 66. Scott would try and shoot a 64. So real quick before we go to you, Michael, what is the – how did you detach from your 68 to then almost wipe it clean and be able to shoot a 67 versus get excited, try and hang on, change your approach? How did you stay in your approach? Um, Sounds like you weren't really thinking about it at all. I wasn't. I wasn't. I knew I was, like, up there in first place after day two. My parents were trying to keep it quiet. I'm like, I know. Like, it's no big deal. I was just kind of having, like, a, you know, just, like, whatever attitude about it. Um, And I think just staying in the present. I just wanted, you know, I was just so focused on each shot and just, yeah, being in the present. Like, oh, I need to hit it here. You know, just really in the present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is easy some days and harder some days you know to stay in the present but i think it comes back to all that mindfulness and just staying in the process yeah um and just staying relaxed for me being relaxed is key because i can i tend to get tight at times and then Mm. everything just kind (laughs) of falls off if i'm very tight you know so i was like listening to music before and just stretching and um just being really relaxed prior to getting to the course. Got it. Well, we'll get to the rounds where they're tough. it's tough. We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> but let's go to Michael's highlight of when you decided to go pro, and let's talk through maybe those rounds or that tournament. Sure. So I, I knew I wanted to play professional golf when I was 12. I'll start there. I um, it, It's a game I love. I've loved it my whole life, and... That's, that was the goal from the time I, I took it up full-time, quit the other sports, and, and dove in. Um, I've got a pretty unique perspective in that my brother is, is on the Corn Ferry Tour, and he's also a very highly competitive golfer. He's, he's the guy that I've looked up to since I decided, hey, I want to do this. Um, so I've always kind of seen what the next level is, and it's been the guy living in the bedroom right next to me. You know, it, it's not someone on TV or someone at my local golf course. It's... It's my older brother. Um, so my senior year of college, he's you know playing on tour a little bit. He got his first PGA Tour start, made the cut, and you know I've seen his game develop and what he is and what he does. And I always kind of looked at it and said, I'm not getting the numbers, but man, I can I can play like that. You know, I just need to figure out how to put it all together. So we ended up going to nationals my senior year in West Virginia, and. I had had some, not crazy, but some health issues, um, little 
battled pneumonia and, and a couple other minor things that didn't let me prepare the way that I wanted to. So we went and, you know, I played fine first round. I shot 72. I think the leader shot 69. The course was playing pretty tough. So I'm not, you know, I'm not happy with it, but I'm not upset with it either. Um, and then I'm talking with my coach and, and we kind of got me into this mindset of, you know, no matter what happens, this is my last college tournament. So I'm not going to worry about score. I'm not going to worry about the next shot, even this shot. I'm just going to enjoy being here. And the next two days, I shot 69 to get within three shots, and then 66 on the last day, and I ended up winning by four. Um, and so, you know, I had kind of been in a state where I was playing a little bit of the backup playing game, where I wasn't sure that I had it. Um, so, you know, I had started an MBA. I was going to go to graduate school and, and, you know, maybe pursue golf and do that. And then, you know, you shoot 66 and in the last round of nationals and you win the golf tournament. All of a sudden you kind of go, yeah, I got it. Um, and so that's kind of how I went from, all right, I'm going to do school and golf post undergrad and kind of see which one pans out to um, I'm all in. I'm just playing golf. And, and that was it for me. Since then, it's just been chasing it. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, have a quick word from a sponsor that every golfer will need. Every golfer uses this, and I think everyone's due for a bit of an upgrade, okay? So I think there's one thing we don't talk enough about, a thing that costs roughly 20 bucks, but can immediately give any golfer a renewed sense of confidence and hope in their game, okay? It's getting a new golf glove. Golf gloves, it's funny. We use it on every shot. Yet it's the thing that we pull out of our bag that's all crusty with holes. And a lot of times you don't get a, a golf glove until there's a hole in it. Some people even play with a hole in it, you know, but it's literally the thing that is connected to our club. It's our feel, right? Well, good news. I have found the greatest glove in the world just for you guys. They're a new company. They launched during COVID and they're blowing up. They just won, I think it was my golf spy, like best golf glove in the industry and I'm really excited to announce a brand new sponsor, Red Rooster Gloves. Okay, now, look, I could talk about how every glove is hand-stitched from the finest leather in Indonesia, but instead, I thought you guys would find it interesting to talk about the mistakes we're all making with our current gloves, okay? So I've been talking to Carrie, their founder, and uh, I love their team. Everyone that works at Red Rooster is just such great people. And we keep talking about how most golfers have the wrong size glove. So I'm going to read a little quote. Carrie sent me this article from a Banzanagi. Like, I'm doing a terrible job with his name, but apparently a guy who's like this huge glove expert uh, wrote an article about glove sizing, and he sent me this quote. He said, most men think their glove is larger, their glove size is larger than it actually is. So this guy has resized 100% of the folks that he's introduced this too, this mentality of how to size your glove by one or two sizes and it's always smaller, okay? So here's the trick. The glove should be really, really tight the first time you put it on, okay? So it's made of high quality Cabretta leather. It's gonna stretch, but here are his rules of thumb. If you can slip the glove on easily, it's too big. If you can't get your glove, your hand in at all, it's too small. But if you have to slide each finger down like a surgeon's glove and the strap is tight, it's probably perfect. Now, here's the key to keep in mind. Red Rooster Golf offers 
free exchanges and refunds to get properly fit. So Carrie told me what a lot of customers do is they'll buy two gloves in different sizes their first time and they'll return the one that doesn't fit. And Carrie said, interestingly enough, 95% of the time it's the larger one. So keep that in mind. Uh, like I said, Red Rooster is made up of amazing people. We're probably going to get Carrie and Brad on the show at some point soon. So you can get to know them, learn about their game. Brad has been on the Corn Ferry for years. So I think we'll get a nice mental game roundtable while also giving you some context on their company. But my favorite part, I haven't even talked about this. My favorite part about Red Rooster is their mission. Okay. You're going to get an amazing glove. Trust me. That's all I wear now. Serm, intern Hank, and I, that's all we wear is uh, Red Rooster gloves. And they're different. It's got this awesome little Red Rooster logo. People are going to be like, oh, what glove is that? Like, it's kind of a nice little flair for your golf ensemble. But to me, what I love the most about wearing a Red Rooster glove is it means something. It means more. So every glove that you buy, kind of like Warby Parker with glasses, goes to a junior golfer in need. And the first time I talked to Carrie, he told me about how the first tee goes into some underprivileged areas and introduces kids to the game of golf, right? But what happens is a lot of kids from humbler backgrounds, they go to these clinics and they see that the kids that are more well-off all have golf gloves and they don't. So it was kind of this, it just didn't feel good for the kids. What's so cool is when you buy a glove, they'll actually send you a little kid glove for free so that you can feel the power of handing a junior golfer, maybe their first really good glove, and then they distribute other gloves to kids in need from your sale as well. So just imagine the look on their face. It gives you the opportunity to feel it. I just think it's so cool. So go to redroostergolf.com, enter the code TRAIN for 20% off. I am so excited to have Red Rooster Golf on board. They're the best gloves, but it also means more. And uh, I think that's really cool. So a lot more coming from Red Rooster. Go to redroostergolf.com. Enter the code TRAIN for 20% off. Let's get back to the show. Interesting. You guys pointed out something similar where you talked about earlier you use different devices to stay present. Seems like you kind of shifted your mindset halfway through the tournament of Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I kind of want to win, but like I'm just going to try and enjoy this. And then your scores kept getting lower, yeah. and you won by four. And it's, you know, a big part of it for me, and a big part of the reason I loved watching Scotty Scheffler win is he is very grounded in his faith. Um, and I'm the same way. And so going to nationals and going through that whole experience, it was more of, for me, this isn't about me. Whatever happens is the way that my God intended it. Mm-hmm. And... He put me in that position to then kind of discover within myself that I have what it takes to chase that dream. I've been dreaming since I was 12. Isn't it funny how, like, it's easy to think about the finish line. Mm -hmm. It's easy to compare yourself against other people. It's easy to get down on yourself when your results aren't good. Mm -hmm. But there always seems to be the good stuff comes after you do one step further from the traditional standard easy thought Mm -hmm. and you guys have consistently throughout this conversation we've barely even dug in like this is nothing (laughs) uh you guys have consistently talked about shifting perspectives not focusing on the first easy thing does that make sense it does Mm -hmm. yeah 
Definitely. It it's almost like, um, and I've actually had a very similar experience to you, Michael, where this used to be my side hustle. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I loved it. I put a lot of time into it. But it didn't really take off until I put focus into it. You know, and sometimes plan B distracts from plan A, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like not a bad thing to have options, Yeah, but I think, uh, you know, depending on what you believe in, God, the universe, whatever, in my experience, it seems to, things go your way and you seem to attract good things when you get very specific on what you want to do and you match your your actions and your day-to-day -day focus going towards that thing. Yeah, Is absolutely. that fair for you guys? 100%. Definitely, I agree. Um, a few years ago, I was working at a climbing gym and a golf course, and I was just <laughs> unsure if I was going to keep pursuing golf. And then COVID happened, and I stopped working at the climbing gym, and then part of the year we were closed at the golf course. And then I was still, and then the golf course opened and I was still working there. And I was just like, during that time period of COVID, I was playing a lot of golf because golf was pretty cheap then. <laughs> so it was really nice. And I kind of like fell in love again with the game. And, and then I was like, hmm, should I quit my, uh, should I quit my job? I uh, had a van and I was just like, I think this is the time to quit. And I quit my job. I was still nervous about it because I, I mean, I had been saving up and I was door dashing at night. Um, and then I went to Florida and play, played in the PXG tournament. And that's where I met Donnie and everybody and I played well. And I was like, okay, I made the right decision. And like, hmm. this is actually my first year I get to play full time. So hmm. um, I put my focus all to golf and it's paying off. That's awesome. What is, um, Um, oh, I remember. What made you lose your love of the game? Um, the results and not being able to play a lot. I was only playing like three, four, five tournaments a year, and it just wasn't enough. And I saw all these girls around me who are playing full-time and get to travel, and I'm just like, I just want that opportunity. Um, and then there's also a lot of girls my age who were quitting, and so there's a lot of new girls too. So it was just like... I want that opportunity for once to just be able to play. I don't want to look back on life wishing like I would have gave it, you know, a chance, you know, a full chance. So I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. You know, I can always get a job. Yeah. So, yeah. I think for me too, what I've found over and over again in since I've kind of jumped into this journey full time is that happiness really does exist on the other side of what you're most afraid of. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was afraid of not having that safety net. And so I decided to go to graduate school. Well, when I dropped out of that, I got a little happier because I was playing more golf. Mm -hmm. Right. And when kind of Carrie and Donnie came in and I had never experienced any kind of support in that sense. You know, obviously, emotional, moral support from my family has been incredible. But having the financial support and being able to then quit my job, which was another safety net, and go at it full time, well, that's scary to do too. To invest in yourself like that is wonderful, but it's terrifying. And you 
jump over that hurdle and on the other side is just another level of happiness and another level of peace that lets you just fall back in love with the game and the process and travel and, and all of it. Yeah, I love that. You guys have probably played, we played yesterday. I'm an amateur, played with another amateur in our group. Um, I ask this usually to every pro I talk to, but usually there are very common mistakes, misnomers that amateurs do. They play golf very differently than you, and it's not just skill level, it's not just the plane of your swing, it's not just ball striking. Like, there's usually very distinct differences on how they play. Um, what would you guys say? in your experience is something that you guys do differently than an amateur when how you get around the course because people say i just know how to get the ball in the hole i just know how to score <laughs> but amateurs don't know what that means sure sure right it's like oh yeah. well of course they do they're better than us but actually no there's real tactical things that they can take in their game um for me i think language is a big one whoa i didn't expect that okay. um a lot of amateurs, they get on the tee box, they're like, oh, I hope I don't hook it into the out of bounds, or I hope I don't go in the water. And then they do. I'm like, that's your fault. You're yeah. thinking about it. Um, I think we definitely don't think about that. We're like, okay, this is our target. Um, you know, we're not like, don't hit it here. You know, you're going to hit it there. It's like telling somebody, don't look over there, but such and such, you look, you know? Yeah. I think language is a big part, and mm, sure. amateurs are always looking for the hazards and, you know, bunkers, whatever. They're mm -hmm. always like, hopefully I don't hit it there. You know, they're always talking about those things versus like, okay, there's the fairway. I'm going to, you know, hit it there. I think language is a big one. Okay. And I think kind of building off of that, amateurs tend to be more tentative, right? So they, they talk to themselves in this negative way that says, okay, don't hit it in the hazard, don't hit it here, don't hit it there. And all of a sudden, they're making these kind of steery, hold on to it swings, trying to help the ball to where it's going. Mm -hmm. Where professionals, and the higher level you get to, the more you see it, they have their target, and they just make a confident, aggressive swing to that target. With the understanding that you're going to make bad swings, and there's going to be consequences. You're, you might hit one in the water, you might hit one out of bounds, but they keep making confident swings. And when they do make a bad swing, they make sure the next one's good. Yeah, I love this. So let's dig into this a little bit because, you know, I'm a six handicap, so nowhere near you guys. But uh, I have a Ryder Cup trip every year in Palm Springs, 16 guys. And um, I want to make it clear, and I'd love to get your guys' take on it. I don't think that committed, confident swings need to all, always feel comfortable. Like sometimes you almost have to force yourself shot to shot to do it, you know, because you might feel really tentative. You might not really know where the ball is going sometimes. Probably me a little bit more than you, but still, we all have it. So um, quick story for me, I was in this, uh, we kind of added this new format to the Ryder Cup trip. It was like a horse race type thing. It's going to have two people at the end. Whoever's left standing wins points for their team right? Kind of a fun little thing. As you get eliminated, you get to watch, right? And I was super, I had so much expectations put on myself and I was super tentative. I was holding on to everything. I was having misses I wasn't used to seeing. And 
I just committed to every tee shot, just rip my three wood. Like, not out of control, but like rip my three wood. Like swing hard at the ball. And I started hitting all these fairways. And it's funny because people probably don't realize that were watching me that day. This is like my example of a pro tournament. Uh, that it was like very difficult to swing aggressively at the ball that day. But I did and I ended up being the last person standing and it was like a grind. But every shot, I just committed to it. So talk about that because I think a lot of people might hear, well, yeah, confident, you know, committed swings. But how can I do that when? And then they use past um, mistakes to inform their future decisions and strategy versus committing to each shot, forgetting the past. How hard has that been for you guys in the past? Has it been difficult at times to swing committed and aggressively? Yeah, definitely. I've actually got a funny little story kind of on those lines. It was the day that I ended up winning nationals my senior year. I'm, I'm four under through eight holes, so I kind of know that I'm making a little charge. And the 18th hole, which was my ninth, I started on 10, was a par five, kind of reachable in two if you hit a good tee shot. So I hit the tee shot down there. I'm in the fairway. I've got like 265-ish to the flag, give or take. A little bit of a force carry. Well, I've got a two iron in my bag. That's the right number. You know, that's kind of the shot for that. But, you know, a straight-faced club like that, forced carry with, you know, the national championship kind of on the line, that's a hard one to commit to sometimes. You know, you want to steer that a little bit. So for me, I knew I was swinging well enough that if I put a good swing on it, it was going to go somewhere in the range of where I wanted it to go. So originally I was going to lay up, and it was you know not too long after we lost Arnie. So I literally had the seven iron in my hand, and I go, no, you have to play aggressive to win, right? Got to play bold. So I pulled the two iron. And I'm standing over the golf ball, and I go, Michael, just hit it solid. Like, I had no other thoughts. Not, where do I want to miss? None of that. Just hit this ball solid, see what happens. We can make birdie from somewhere up there. Mm -hmm. And I ended up actually lipping it out. It, like, it, <laughs> hit, it hit the hole. Um, lipped out, went to about 12 feet, and I two-putted for birdie to turn in five under. And that, for me, was kind of what flipped the switch of, okay, I just went from I might hit a steery seven iron down into the fairway and make par, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm not in that same momentum, that same groove, to I just put a really good swing on a really hard shot and played the entire back nine kind of with confidence off of that. It's kind of a great reminder for the amateur listening to this to be like, if you feel that discomfort, that's okay. Yeah. That just means the moment means something. I think it just means you're alive, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like you still reset and committed to whatever shot gave you the best chance, right? right. Yeah. And it was, it's a shot I've hit a thousand times in practice. It was just, again, yeah. the situation that put the pressure on it. So I think, you know, for anyone listening to just, if you have one of those shots, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just hit it as solid as you can, see what happens, accept the result. Yeah. So your point was language. Yeah, which I was going to say, yeah. um, like you were talking to yourself. I think mm -hmm. self-talk in those moments when you're feeling nervous or something, like sometimes putts, and I'm like nervous about it, I tell myself trust, and I immediately mm -hmm. relax. You mm -hmm. know, little key words 
over the ball sometimes helps you. Yeah. So we've talked about the triumphs. What's your, been your lowest moment? There have been a few of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, um, so for me, I had a pretty significant hip injury going into, into COVID. I tore the labrum in my left hip. It wasn't a bad tear. I didn't need surgery. But I was pretty much on the DL for, I don't know, seven, eight weeks. And kind of coming back from that and trying to figure out, okay, can I still swing the same? with my hip in the condition that it's in, do I have to change things? Um, it was a good, you know, 18 month process, figuring out what can I do, what can't I do, PT, rehab, stuff like that. And it, it gets dark when you're kind of in that, in that mindset of, I don't know what I'm, what's gonna be there when I come back. Yeah, what about you? Um, I think probably before COVID, just, not, I wasn't sure what was going to happen in life, just thinking, like, what's next for me, and mm-hmm. um, just not being able to play a lot of golf. It was hard. And then working at the golf course, which I wasn't happy, <laughs> you know, doing cards, doing outside stuff, um, I was just pretty low, and I was just like, I, you know, I want to know what's going to happen for me. Like, I want something good. And then I started actually seeing a mental coach, Howard Falco, who works with some PGA, LPGA players. And that kind of changed for me. It kind of helped me get in a better state. And that's when I started, you know, loving the game again and practicing and improving and tournaments. I just immediately saw the improvement. If you guys are hearing that, there's a leaf blower right outside the window. Um, but what, what was the main shift you guys made working with the mental coach? Language? Language, language was huge, yes. Because I would say, like, you know, I'm not hitting the ball well. He's like, no, it's not that. It's you, in the past, you didn't hit the ball well or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Language was key. And also just knowing, like, throughout the years where I didn't play a lot, that I did the best I could knowing that at that time, at that given time, I did the best I could. And that was really big for me. And what about just a, you're at a tournament, you're five over through four. Um, How do you, what do you do? For me, I think, so you start getting in your head, right? You're like, okay, what's happening here, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So for me, I noticed to turn it around, I have to talk to myself out loud so that I'm not like in my head. So I'll be like, okay, I have 152 yards. The wind is right to left. Like I talk to myself out loud and like say, okay, I'm gonna pull a seven iron or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that really helps you get out of your head and into the process again. I think it all goes back to that self-talk, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's it's so important the way we teach our brain to see our situation and ourselves is what it ends up believing. Right, so if you're five over through four, you can either go, I'm out of it, I'm shipping it in, or you can say, like we kind of talked about earlier, I've made seven, eight birdies in a round before. You know, why can't I do that today? Let's do it, let's go. Come on, let's yeah. get it. Let's hit this one in the fairway and chase it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you have to make the conscious decision to, to just turn it around, whatever way it works for you. You know, whether it's, you know, talking out loud through your process, telling yourself positives about your game, telling yourself, man, I've, I've been here before and I've come back, mm-hmm. or even just saying, it doesn't matter. 
on to the next one. Let's chase it. Yeah. Well, we haven't really talked specifically about expectations, but connecting it to the amateur conversation, I think even yesterday we saw, you know, a lot of amateurs can have like crazy expectations. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we're not practicing like every day, mm-hmm. you know, and we talk about it a lot on the show. I'm not going to overdo it, but we've all seen the percentages of what a Tiger Woods, how many, you know, 20% of greens hit or 20%, I forget the stat, but from like 100 yards, he's getting it within 15 feet, like 20% of the time or whatever the stat is. But like, you know, we hold ourselves to the standard of our best, our outliers Mm -hmm. instead of our average. So how do you guys temper your expectations? How important are expectations in your performance? They're, they're obviously important. Um, like, you don't want to expect to play poorly, because then you're just going to play poorly. Um, I think expecting to perform your best is a very healthy thing if you do it the right way. Right? I want to expect to play well every day, but also have the understanding that not every day is going to be a great day. So I know what game I can play, and if things start to go sideways, I'm not going to freak out because things aren't going as planned, right? I'm going to accept, adjust, kind of take in what's happening and continue to move forward. And it, it just all goes back to that whole, the, the old adage, one shot at a time, is really what it comes down to. Yeah. Exactly. Just being in the present. Have you guys heard the maybe story? Maybe. With the Chinese farmer? Uh, no, we haven't. No. I haven't. Okay. No, I haven't either. So I'm going to get it wrong. Um, but essentially, there's this story about this farmer where one of his horses runs away. And the people in the village goes, oh, my God, that's so terrible. I'm so sorry that you lost one of your horses. And he goes, yeah, maybe. And then a day later, that horse brings back four wild horses mm-hmm. with it. And they go, oh, my God, that's so great. You got five horses now. And he goes, maybe. Uh, the next day, one of the wild horses breaks his son's arm. And they go, oh, my God, that's so terrible. One of the wild horses broke your son's arm. And he goes, maybe. And then the next day, people, the army comes to take people away, and they can't take the son away because he broke his arm. So... I think it's that neutrality, which is really the secret of golf and life, Mm -hmm. where again, going back to what's easy and what's not as easy, it's easy to look at a bad shot and feel disappointed. It's easy to not be excited if your results aren't matching your expectations. But if you can play with this mentality of maybe, maybe not, Mm -hmm. you know, I say a lot on the show, like I've made doubles from the middle of the fairway I've made birdies from the trees Mm -hmm. you know so it's funny like Dr. Bob Winters one of the world renowned sports psychologists who we've had on the show a couple times um, he talks about how you know cliches are cliches for a reason Mm -hmm. they're the golden nuggets of truth so a lot of people hear one shot at a time and they immediately stop listening. Yeah. But isn't it funny how the 
person who plays one shot at a time the best mm-hmm. usually ends up near the top of the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. Like anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean it's easy. So what comes up for you guys when I say the maybe story? Oof. You're smiling and nodding. So I want to... I mean, really just kind of the way that I try to reframe since kind of diving into my faith and my professional golf and really everything that I've experienced over the last few years is, that's the perfect way to describe it, is you try to obviously be happy when when things are going well and manage when things are going poorly, but at the same time, there's always that element of kind of what's this preparing you for? What's the next, you know, step in all of this that whatever you believe, for me it's God, for other people it's other things, what is the purpose of this experience to prepare me for whatever's coming next? And I think if you can start to ask yourself that consciously and answer the question for yourself, it becomes so much easier to have expectations without letting them affect you. So what you're saying is you lean into uncomfortable situations as it's preparing me for something I don't even know is going to happen yet. So really there isn't any bad or right because it's leading you to where you're supposed to go. Exactly. And you know, everything kind of leads you to the next step as long as you allow yourself to move forward. And I think where a lot of people get stuck is when things start to go bad and they don't go according to expectation, they start to spin their tires. Right, they start changing things to you know whether it's a swing change or, and you get stuck, versus letting yourself move forward through good and bad, and using those experiences to benefit you in the future. Yeah, basically you're saying like you learn from it, and so you're growing, Mm -hmm. you know, in those situations. I agree with you on that. You know, one of my favorite cliche quotes is there's there's no such thing as failure, only succeeding at finding out what doesn't work. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But I'm not saying change your swing, (laughs) you know. Um, So we're basically at time. Uh, Before we tell people where to follow you and find you, and I want to give you a chance to maybe have one final thought after this conversation, what comes up as like a takeaway for the amateur player to maybe remember. I want you to first talk about Carrie, because Carrie is a new company. That a lot of people don't know about that I think is doing great things. That's why I'm here. Um, we talked about the money part. Talked about how hard it is for Mini Tour, Corn Ferry, to play free when the meaning, right? You're trying to focus on the doing, but the meaning is could change your life. Yeah. Um, and how to let go of that. Carrie's helping with that. So maybe talk about what Carrie is and how you guys got involved and and people can check it out if they want to help. Yeah, so Carrie is essentially, it's we're creating a marketplace to connect fans of golf who are interested in investing in the future of the game, right? And Donnie has this great vision where he just wants to connect people who have a passion for golf and turn it into something that's mutually beneficial. Um, so I started talking to Donnie maybe back in November of last year he had this idea, he was kind of trying to figure out what it would look like, you know, what today would look like even. Um, and kind of in talks with him, I realized that he's not just another guy, you know, trying to make a quick buck off a business idea. He, first of all, he's an amazing dude. He 
has a passion for what he does and he has a passion for helping other people and it's evident in, in everything that he does. He also has great stories about being a Marine. Yeah, he has phenomenal stories. <laughs> and But I think for me, the, the coolest part was I felt like he wasn't just a guy trying to start a business. He's a guy who believes in us, right? And believes that we're fighters and we're the kind of people that are gonna take the talent that we have and now the resources that he's helping provide us and do something with it. And that, that belief and that culture that he's building, I think is more important to me when it comes to carry than, than any of the, the financial or anything like that. So they're essentially allowing investors to come in, fund players, mm -hmm. and give them the runway yeah. to really make a run at their dreams. Um, but then the investors have the ability to recoup some mm -hmm. based on how you perform and get yeah. to the next level. Yeah, and not only recoup, kind of get a return on investment, but also get experiences like we're having this week, mm -hmm. right? The, part of the idea is to create a network, really, of just like-minded people who love the game. And so whether it's, you know, a trip to Pinehurst or interacting with the players that you're kind of involved with through the platform, Donnie's giving people a way to get connected to the game in, in just a completely new perspective and new angle. Which I really love. Um, growing up, I didn't have a business background and so did my parents. So I didn't know how to, you know, get sponsorships and stuff like that. And so this platform makes it easier for athletes uh, to connect with investors, which I really like that. And I'm really excited to see it grow and excited for other people in sports, any sport, get the opportunity to actually pursue their dreams. Love that. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes so people can go find Carrie. Um, I love what they're doing. That's why I'm here. And it brought me to you guys, which is great. And I've met a ton of great people. And it just, you know, I was on the range yesterday with uh, Matt. And it's like, look, we talk about it a lot on the show. It's like you, people can't believe how much talent is out there. But it's mm -hmm. like true. I will say for the listeners, it's rare that I'm like next to the player. Mm -hmm. And he like gave me this putting tip that like is making me roll the ball maybe for the first time, like a real roll, <laughs> sure. you know, not little skids to start. And uh, it's amazing when you see, and you guys yesterday, like seeing that stuff up close, it makes you realize like how wide the talent pool is. And it's not just like the phenoms, mm -hmm. like a Rory McIlroy from 17 that just starts winning, you know, at the highest level, like, there's many different ways to get there. And that's been cool for me to get to know your guys' stories and see the talent. Um, before we end here, because we got to start warming up for Pinehurst, I got to get some food. I also lost some balls at Bandon last week, so I got to buy some balls. But um, after today's conversation, like for the amateur, for the 15 handicap that's listening, what do you guys think you've heard either yourself say or the other say that, or maybe didn't say that you want to say, that you think is a good takeaway for that player to become a 12 or a 10 or an 8? Like, what is a takeaway in your mind after this conversation of how to be a better golfer and a happier person on the course? 
I think just language, your attitude. Um, even if you hit a bad shot, just think the next shot, this is an opportunity to show that you can play golf. Just enjoy the process and the creativeness, imagination. Um, it's all about the attitude. I think, yeah, just be grateful. Um, you know, no matter how you wake up in the morning, if, if it's one of those days where everything feels great, or it's one of those days where you don't even want to get out of bed, find something and say, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And you know, it could be something as simple as, I got a few extra minutes of sleep. I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to get out of bed and walk on my own two feet today. I'm grateful for that. Or it could be, you know, I get to go play Pinehurst number two today. I'm pretty grateful for that. Yeah. Just find something to, yeah. to hold on to and get the day started. I think I saw something the other day that said it's actually uh, scientifically proven that you can't feel anxious and grateful at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like it's the, in the brain, it's physically impossible. Um, and I tweeted on the way here, it was a little bit dark, but I was trying to communicate a point that I said, imagine that we go in the future, you get to look at yourself in the future and something tragic happens and you can never play golf again. And then rewind to today and, or actually, sorry, in a year, if that accident happens, think about your last round and think about how you were angry because you weren't mm. playing well. Mm -hmm. And then think about that moment of your last round ever being almost spoiled mm -hmm. because you were really frustrated. And now take yourself out of that dark simulation, rewind yourself to today and go play golf. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's funny, I think, I heard this a lot at Bannon Dunes last week. I'll probably hear it today. Like people enjoy themselves more on these courses because they're more bucket list. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we also don't know that we're ever gonna play that course that we're playing again. Right. You know, we don't know what's gonna happen. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's also a way to be grateful too, is mm -hmm. to sometimes think about you know, you have it better than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot worse things than than a lost ball. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So yeah. tell people where uh, they can find you if they want to follow you guys in your journey. So my Instagram is Paige Crawford 7 um, You can follow me on Instagram and see me living in the van. <laughs> Love it. I'm going to um, follow you right now. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm mainly Instagram and Twitter. On Instagram, I'm uh, mvanderlin199. And on Twitter, I'm uh, mi underscore vanderlin. Sweet. Cool. Any final words that we didn't cover? I think we covered a lot. I yeah. think uh, there was a lot of good stuff in this. And really appreciate you having us on. Well, thank you thank guys you so for much. hopping aboard. I know you guys like birdies, but like, you know, <laughs> hopefully the park train gets you in a nice rhythm today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? I'll par the first three and hop on that train. I'll be all right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Thank you.